It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Isn't it amazing, friends, that week after week, through our study of the book of Daniel, we have come to understand the Bible's amazing ability to accurately point out the future events across the centuries. This accuracy demonstrates that this book is not a collection of random chance processes, but rather points to a master planner, someone who has taken personal care in the history of this world, it leads us to conclude that this book is of divine origin and it can be trusted. Now, briefly, I talked last week about the concept of recapitulation or repeating and enlarging. The Eastern way of thinking is this way of saying something and then expanding upon what was said. Now, this was demonstrated through the study of Daniel 7 and its repeating of the material in Daniel 2, but with greater detail and utilizing different language and symbols. Now, in our study today, we will move into the third major vision of Daniel. Now, the book of Daniel actually contains five major visions. And those visions are found in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9, and then strung through Daniel 10 through 12. We have already covered the visions of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. So let's turn to Daniel chapter 8. As Daniel begins in verse 1, he tells us that he received this vision in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. Now that was sometime around 548 B.C., the destruction of Babylon was still about a decade into the future. And although Nebuchadnezzar's death brought about a weaker Babylon, no one who was living at the time could have guessed that the mighty walls of the city could ever be breached by a conquering nation. Let's read Daniel 8, 2-4. I saw in the vision... And it so happened while I was looking that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, I was by the river Uli. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last." I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. Once again, we have beasts. And our study of Daniel 7 revealed that the symbol of a beast was a kingdom or a nation. Once again, we do not have to guess about the interpretation. 
Later in Daniel 8 and verse 20, the angel Gabriel shares the interpretation of the dream with Daniel, and it reads, The ram which you saw, having two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. The vision here depicts two horns, yet he points out that the higher one came up last. Interestingly enough, when the Medes and Persians first came on the scene, the Medes were the more powerful. They had given the Assyrians considerable difficulty from the 9th to the 7th centuries BC. But then under Cyrus, the Persians became the stronger of the two. The royal houses of the Medes and Persians intermarried, and the Persians became so strong that modern historians often simply refer to this empire as the Persian Empire. So it was, though, when Cyrus conquered Media, he incorporated it into his kingdom, and that is why we have the combined name of Medo-Persia, as stated in the book of Daniel. You see, Daniel sees in vision that the ram would push westward, northward, and southward. And in amazing fulfillment of the dream, the major conquest of the Persians was toward the north, where the kingdom of Lydia lay in ancient Turkey, to the west, Persia conquered Babylon in 539, and to the south, Cyrus's son Cambyses conquered Egypt in 525 BC. All of this in exact fulfillment of this vision that God gave to Daniel. In addition, the choice of the ram is also significant. On their seals, the Persians used the ram as a common emblem. In addition, the ram was a sacrificial animal that played a key role in the sanctuary service. That sanctuary service I'm referring to, of course, is the Hebrew sanctuary service. And the ram symbolized the Lamb of God who would die for the sins of the world. What a fitting symbol of the ram as found here in Daniel 8, this sanctuary imagery. You see, the Persians, through three decrees by their kings, would command the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. They were extremely important in the reestablishing of the sanctuary service. Friends, what amazing detail is given in this prophecy, once again demonstrating the reliability of God and His Word. But let's continue reading in Daniel chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west, across the surface of the whole earth, without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him. And there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore, the male goat grew very great. But when he became strong, the large horn was broken. And in place of it, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. Once again, no guessing is needed. 
the angel Gabriel points out in verse 21, and the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. This goat represents the kingdom of Greece and the large horn, an obvious reference to Alexander the Great. Two different Persian kings, Darius I in 490 BC and Xerxes in 480, unsuccessfully tried to subdue Greece through brutal attacks and raids. One such place was Macedonia. Their local ruler was a man by the name of Philip of Macedon. Philip had a young son who would witness these brutal attacks by the Medo-Persians. That son's name? Alexander. And Alexander never forgot the brutality and humiliation brought upon the Greek people. And so with pinpoint accuracy, the Greek goat would rise, not forgetting the humiliation. And the prophecy states that the goat ran at the ram with furious power and moved with rage against him and finally trampling him to the ground with no one to deliver him. The incredible speed by which Alexander and his forces conquered the known world was truly amazing. They marched all the way up from Macedonia in the west to the valley of the Indus River in northwest India. What a fitting symbol in Daniel 8 for the goat to go across the surface of the earth without touching the ground. And here is what makes this even more remarkable. Daniel 8 predicted this rise over two centuries before the Greeks began to conquer the world. In addition, Daniel 8 predicted that Alexander and his kingdom would be cut down while they were at the very height of their power. And that prediction by Daniel came before Greece was even a power to be considered. Notice what Daniel states. Therefore, the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken. Friend, Alexander conquered the world, but he couldn't conquer his own addictive behaviors. The representation of Greece as a goat is intriguing. The goat was a familiar figure on Greek coins. The original capital of Macedonia was Agi, from which Alexander was from. There is a similarity between the capital city of Agi and the Greek word Ages, which is the word for goat. Biblically, the goat in the sanctuary service represented both the Lord and Azazel. Azazel was the representation of the devil on the Day of Atonement. As a Greek symbol, the goat was represented both by Alexander and his nation, Greece. Yet once the horn was broken, and eventually a little horn rises, it is key to understand its connection with the goat. You see, the Persians were represented as a ram, a creature of sacrifice in the temple, and it was fitting for their influence in the rebuilding of the temple or the sanctuary. 
However, the Romans were not sanctuary builders, but they were sanctuary destroyers and desecrators. This is seen in the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70, and then in AD 130, when the Romans erected a temple for Jupiter on the very grounds where the Jewish temple once stood. But let's continue in Daniel with chapters, chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, after that prominent horn broke. Four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven, and out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. Alexander died in 323 B.C., in 301 BC, Alexander's kingdom was ruled by Cassander, Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. The unity of the empire was extremely fragile. In fact, it only lasted for 20 years until Seleucus defeated and killed Lysimachus in 281 BC. From the date of 281 B.C., historians now unanimously affirm that there were only three substantial kingdoms resulting from Alexander's conquests. These three kingdoms were the Antigonids, who ruled in Macedonia and Greece, the Seleucids, who ruled in Asia and especially Syria, and the Ptolemids in Egypt. They controlled most of the world east of the Mediterranean until the Roman conquest. But what about this fourth kingdom division of Greece? Fascinatingly enough, recent archaeological discoveries and historical discoveries have confirmed the existence of a Western Greek kingdom developing. They actually lived in Italy. Now, they were different than their eastern cousins, and their life philosophy was heavily influenced by Pythagoras and Parmenides. They shaped the Italian intellect and culture. In addition, those Western Greek philosophers greatly shaped Plato and Aristotle, whose ideas actually became the very foundation and structure for the little horn power. Now, although this may be a new thought to those seeing or hearing this broadcast today, the early Christian church and the Roman church in particular were deeply influenced by the Greek philosophy of Plato and Aristotle in the formulation of its doctrinal system. Frankly, friends, it is miraculous that the book of Daniel revealed this close relationship between the Greeks and the Romans when archaeology and history are only now discovering that relationship. For instance, that relationship is not only demonstrated in Daniel 8, but also in Daniel 2. In Daniel 2, the Greeks are represented by the belly and thighs of bronze, whereas the Romans by the legs of iron. Now, the word thigh in Daniel 2.32 in Aramaic is very similar to the word for thigh in Genesis 24.9, where Abraham made his servant swear unto him by putting his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master. Now, I want you to think about this, though. 
Since the leg is a single entity, it requires both the upper, the thigh, and the lower half in order to walk. This imagery seemingly suggests that close relationship of thigh and lower leg is the same relationship between the Greeks and the Romans. In Daniel 7, 19, we read that the indescribable beast had iron teeth, but it also had nails of bronze. Once again, the iron legs of Daniel 2 point to Rome and the bronze points to Greece. There is no doubt about this Greco-Roman overlap in Daniel 7. The relationship, however, is even clearer in Daniel 8, as we have already pointed out. Remember, this chapter does not state that the horn was split into four. Rather, it states that the first big horn on the male goat was broken or plucked up and then Daniel 8.8 points out, instead of it came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Now Daniel 8.22 brings a bit of clarity. Four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation. The prophetic focus is therefore on the Greeks as a whole and not just the kingdoms that resulted from the breakup of Alexander's empire. The little horn... Rome literally grows from within a Greek context. Now, again, later in the book of Daniel, in chapter 11, Greece is introduced in chapter 11 in verse 2. And after the overview of the Greek kings of the north and south, Daniel 11:20 provides and proceeds to deal with the Romans. There is no transition. There is nothing that marks them as separate peoples. You see, the book of Daniel seems to treat the Romans as though they were an outgrowth of the Greeks. And so as a result, this close relationship between the Greeks and Romans, as revealed in the book of Daniel and confirmed through recent discoveries of the Western Greeks in Italy, this all strongly points to the fact that Rome is the little horn of Daniel 8 and would arise out of the Western Greeks, one of those four horns in Daniel 8. This little horn is slightly different than the little horn of Daniel 7. In studying Daniel 8, verses 9 to 12, we realize that Daniel uses one symbol, the little horn, to represent both pagan and papal aspects of this power. So let's take a look at the activities of the pagan Roman aspect of the little horn. Daniel said in Daniel 8 verse 9 that the little horn would grow exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the glorious land. Now history tells us that the first significant venture of Rome beyond the Italian peninsula was toward Sicily in the south. This is where the western Greeks were residing. This involved a consistent southward movement through Great Greece in order to ward off the Carthaginians of Africa who were threatening to take it. In fact, within a few generations, Carthage itself was conquered and later destroyed. But when Rome turned east and conquered the rest of Greece, 
Western Asia, and North Africa. In addition, the glorious land is a reference, a symbol to Jerusalem or Palestine, which was incorporated into the Roman Empire in 63 B.C. You see, just as Daniel 7 pointed out characteristics of the little horn, so Daniel 8 points out characteristics as well. Daniel 8.11 mentions three specific things that the little horn would do. First, it would rise up against the prince of princes. Second, it would take away the daily or continual service. And third, it would cast down the place of God's sanctuary. All of these things were fulfilled and took place under the pagan Roman Empire. You see, it was under a Roman procurator that Christ was put to death. His death rendered the earthly sanctuary services null and void. The Romans attacked Jerusalem, and in AD 70, they destroyed the sanctuary itself. Jesus himself confirms this prophecy of Daniel 8, specifically Daniel 8:13, and the abomination of desolation. When he spoke these words in, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 16. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now the sister parallel passage of Matthew 24 is found in Luke 21, verses 20 to 24. Interestingly enough, Jesus does not repeat the phrase, the abomination of desolation. But instead he says these words. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its destruction is near. Then he warned those who were in Judea at that time to escape and flee to the mountains. It was the pagan Roman armies that encircled Jerusalem and planted their standards just outside the city walls. Yet according to history, no Christian who listened to the Lord's warning and fled to the mountains, was lost in the destruction of the city. Now, thus far, the study of Daniel 8 reveals that God had a plan. These things can't be attributed to random chance processes. How could have Daniel known or guessed that Babylon would pass off the scene while it was still a ruling empire of the day, and showed no signs of being invaded. How could have Daniel randomly predicted the rise of the Persians over the Medes when it was clear that for over two centuries, the Medes were the stronger of the two? How is it possible that the choice of the ram to symbolize the Persians would be so fitting to a people who were friendly to the Jews that helped them restore their city and temple? Could there have been random chance at the speed in which Greece conquered the known world? How is it possible that Daniel would have predicted the fact that Greece would be led by a mighty leader in Alexander who would die at a very early age at the height of his power? What kind of speculation could lead one to the fact that the little horn would grow out of the Western Greeks who resided in Italy which is one of the four horns that came up in place of Alexander and his kingdom. What type of guesstimate would take place for the prediction of the pagan little horn first attacking the south 
the east and the glorious land of Jerusalem and Palestine. Who could have predicted with accuracy hundreds of years before he was born that the pagan Roman Empire would ultimately put Christ to death and destroy the temple and the city of Jerusalem? Friend, the answer is simple. Only God could do so. He is real and he seeks to enter into relationship with you. You know, there is one other thing that happens with this little horn power in Daniel 8 that we haven't talked about. Daniel 8, 13 and 14 tells us, and this is what it says. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. What is this all about? What is this 2,300 days referring to? What is the relationship between the little horn and the cleansing of the sanctuary? Where does this event take place? When does it take place? Friend, we're all out of time today to discuss that. But join us next week and we will answer all those questions. In the meantime, we can rest assured once again, God is real. God cares for us and wants us to be a part of his kingdom that will last forever. What holds you back today? Respond to his invitation. He will not let you down. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have the world in your hands. We give our heart to you today. Please care for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. My dear friend, isn't it amazing how this book over and over again demonstrates that God is real and he wants to be in relationship with you. Today I want to offer to you a DVD of a past program called The Book That Couldn't Be Silenced. That DVD will help you understand even more the reliability and authenticity of the Bible. In addition to that, I'd like to offer you the Discover Bible Guides to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Here's the information you need for today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. And thank you for your prayer requests and your generous financial support.
That's It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H7V4. Friend, thank you so much for joining us. If you want more resources, I encourage you to go to our website, itiswrittencanada.ca. Please be with us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.